So John chapter 14, we're going to give our attention to verses 4 and 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. Um, and so if you are able to stand for the reading of God's word this morning, I want to encourage you to do that. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. This is not a typical Easter sermon, let me say that at the onset. And yet I'm, I am more sure than ever that this is exactly what the Lord would have us to hear from his word this morning. So John 14 verses 1 through 6. Here's what the precious and errant and fallible word of God says. It says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Verse 4, and you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. First Baptist Church of Gray Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's join together in thanking him for his word. Father, as we consider, Lord, the heinous evil of this world, Lord, as we consider the acts of men who think that they are performing righteous acts in their terror, Lord, we recognize your sovereignty and goodness. Lord, we claim and know the promises which you have bestowed before us in your word of exactly who you are and what you've done. The Father, there is no evil in you that you are loving, you are compassionate, yet all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-wise. And so, at the times in which we don't know exactly what to pray, we know that your Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. So we're asking that now for your Spirit to come, your Spirit to give us the words to say. Lord, we know that hatred is not the answer we know that there's only one answer to all of these situations, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, as we see the wicked acts of this world, as we think of the families whose lives have been dramatically changed in an instant, oh, Lord, would it ever encourage us to not only kill sin in our own lives and pursue the gospel's grace, but to share that gospel with a knowing world, knowing that it's the only hope we have. Father, would you equip us and encourage us? And Father, would we... We seek your word before us. Lord, looking at how you are the way and the only way. Father, I ask for your help and I ask for clarity and wisdom. We ask for the, as your word says, for this word not to return void. It would pierce hearts, save sinners, sanctify the saints, and bring glory to you. Lord, I ask this all in the name of your precious son, Jesus, who is alive and reigning as we speak. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I'm going to give you a term. It's a term I'm going to define, so don't worry. That term is religious pluralism. Religious pluralism. I know many of you are like, well, I was at the sunrise service, so therefore any words over four syllables is not fair. And I, I agree, okay? I'm sorry for that. Uh, and yet, I think this term religious pluralism is something that's very prevalent in our day. 
Uh, and I, I, if you don't know what that is, religious pluralism simply is pretty self-explanatory. It's simply the belief that all religions are equally true or legitimate. Now, we're all connected to the same hub, and as long as you pursue some sort of light within you, some sort of, of hope within you, that you, in the end, will be saved. Religious pluralism teaches that all roads lead to the same place or to the same God. And religious pluralism abounds in every culture around the globe. No matter where you might go around this world, it's very common to hear people say things like, well, you know, all roads lead to God. Or, you know, we really worship the same God, all of us together. When you think about that term that all roads lead to God, in, in one sense it's true, isn't it? Because all roads do lead to God because the scripture says that all men will stand before God on the day of judgment. But that's not what people mean when they say all roads lead to God. People will mean that all religions are equal and for anybody to claim that one religion is right while all the others was wrong is a prideful, arrogant, narrow-minded, and bigoted position. Now listen to me. That criticism would be valid. That criticism would be true if a person's claim on their religion was simply a matter of one's own personal opinion. For instance, if I were to tell you that my religion is right and all the others are wrong simply because my religion is what I happen to believe, well, that would be prideful and arrogant. However, if, if my position is not just my opinion, but it's in fact the truth of what God himself has revealed in his word, then my position can't be and isn't narrow-minded, prideful, or arrogant at all. If it's what God himself says is right because he said it, therefore it is right. That's what makes it true. And church, as, as we'll see from our text this morning, God himself has clearly declared that there is only one way to God and therefore only one true religion. My purpose in sharing this message with you today is not to purposely offend you. I'm aware that there may be some in here who disagree with me. Instead, my goal is to share with you the way that God has provided, the truth that he has revealed to us, his people, in his word, in his word and the life that he has to offer all of those who would put their trust in his son, the Lord Jesus. See, maybe you're not familiar with Christianity, although you are here on Easter, so I'm assuming that there's some familiarity there, but Christianity is an exclusive religion. It's obvious from, from many texts of Scripture and extremely clear from the passage before us this morning. Once again, I, I realize most of you know this already, that the Christian faith is the only true religion, and you've got no problem with it being unique or exclusive. But no matter how comfortable you are with this position, I want to encourage you this morning to remain steadfast and even to remain bold in proclaiming this way, we'll see. To hold fast in this position, to never depart from it. It's central to our faith that there is only one way. If there were more than one way, friends, then what we're doing here is a waste of time. If all roads lead to God, then, then what are we pursuing and doing? This is central to our faith. There is but one way, as you've already heard Jesus say this morning. Let's look at it in our text this morning. I'm going to read again 
verses 4 to 6. So the first thing I think we do well to note is the emphasis throughout this section. The main idea throughout this section is on the subject of the way. Jesus is the way. I got a simple outline for you, one, two, three, this morning. You ready for that? Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. There you have it. Jesus is the way. However, even though Jesus is the truth and Jesus is the life, the way is central here. The way to the Father, the way to heaven, the way where these many mansions we mentioned last week that Jesus had been talking about, where, where they are. At the end of the previous chapter, Jesus had told Peter, remember, that he was going somewhere that Peter could not go until later. And then Jesus takes up the subject of where he's going in order to grant comfort to his disciples whose hearts were troubled by telling them what they can expect in the future when they go to that particular place. He tells them then in verse 4 of our text, and you know the way where I am going. And then in verse 5, Thomas specifically asked Jesus this question. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? It's in light of all of this talk about where he's going that Jesus then responds with these familiar words. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now let me ask you a question why would a person need to know the way? What state, what condition would a person need to be in to be asking for the way? Why would somebody need directions? I'm, I'm not your typical man's man when it comes to directions, right? Most of my brothers in Christ are adamant about they never need to be told where they're going at any point in time, always because they know the way, right? As if you have like a personal sundial that just follows the sun and you're like, that's west, I know, don't talk to me anymore, right? Um, I, on the other hand, am, am very anxious about directions because I've been lost most every place I've went in my entire life. Um, most of you, if you're in the hospital, know that before I've greeted you in the hospital and come to visit you, I've walked around the hospital at least six or seven times before I found what room you're in, okay? So I'm one who needs to know the way and always, even if I'm going home, if I'm walking home from here to my house, which is right there, I'm likely to put that address into my GPS on my phone, right? But why would somebody need directions? Why would somebody need a guide to tell them where to go? Well, the reason Jesus tells us about the way to the Father in heaven is because people are lost. That's the reason you need to know the way. The reason Jesus tells us about the way to the Father in heaven is because people are lost. Jesus has to tell us about the way because we're lost. The, the reason people need directions on how to get to God and how to get to heaven is because they're lost. You recall, by the way, at the beginning of the Bible, in the first story there, we're taught that our first parents were kicked out of the Garden of Eden because they sinned against God. And, and after they were kicked out, do you remember what, what God did so they couldn't get back on their own? He put angels around the gate and a flaming sword across the gate. So God made it so that Adam and Eve couldn't get back to the garden and to the tree of life. And since then... The way to God and the way to eternal life has been shut by sin. To top it off, because of the effect of sin on people is so great, 
people are now following all kinds of different ways, wrong directions, to try and get back their own way to heaven and to God. In fact, people even go so far as to make up their own directions. That's how ludicrous it's gotten. Can you imagine where you would end up if you were just to make up your own directions to a place where you've never been? That's ridiculous. You would never make it to your destination, would you? But, but friends, that's the condition of our whole race. We are all lost. We are born lost, and we are lost, not just a little lost, we're lost in a bad way. Isaiah put it like this in Isaiah 53, 6. He says that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to its own way. See, some people have no concern at all about the fact that they are lost. They just go with the flow, and they end up wherever they're going, wherever that flow takes them. It's not something they think about or they're concerned with. Of course, there are others that are concerned who have, have some lost, uh, some sense of their lostness, some awareness of the fact they're lost, and are trying desperately to find their way back to God. These are the people who turn to all kinds of different philosophies or religions thinking that through these means they might find their way back to God. Friends, we need to remember the truth that we're taught in the book of Proverbs chapter 14. It says, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 14, 12 says that. I want to read that again. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There are many ways that seem right to people today, but its end is the way of death. Here's the thing that we need to understand from the words of Jesus in this passage. While many people are running around trying to find their way to heaven by following different disciplines of various philosophies or religions, the reality is they are looking in vain. Because what Jesus tells us here is that the way to God and to heaven is not found by some way of thinking, nor is it found by some exercise that, that throws the name religious onto it. Jesus tells us that he himself is the way to God. He is the way to heaven. It's not some force or thing, but it's a person. The way is a person, and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man himself. To reinforce the exclusivity uh, of, of him being the only way, Jesus adds at the end of verse 6 that no one comes to the Father but through me. It's really hard to be mistaken at what Jesus is saying here, right? Like you'd really have to chop this up, look deeply beyond what the text, maybe come up with some sort of math code about what the letters and numbers mean in this text to, to have him say anything but he is the only way. He can't be mistaken. Jesus is not a way. He's not a way. Jesus is clear. He is the way. He is not one way among many other right ways. He is the way, and that's what we learn here. There are no alternative paths when it comes to Jesus being the way. They don't exist. They are not detours. They're not shorter or longer or roundabout ways to get to heaven. There is only one way. And if you want to get there, he's it. You need him. Jesus doesn't just tell us about some religious exercises for us to do so that we might earn our way to get to heaven. 
He doesn't simply tell us, hey, listen, if you pray, if you fast, if you read the Bible, if you get to church, you keep the Lord's day holy, be nice to your friends, be nice to your enemies, then you will own your own way to heaven. He doesn't merely prescribe a way for us to follow. Instead, he provides in himself a way for us to follow. The way to heaven is not a discipline. It's not a standard. Rather, it's a person. It's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Listen again to what we read earlier that Brother Mark read for us in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. It says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Draw near to God. Jesus is that way. Another aspect that's marvelous about our faith is that it's all God. Jesus being the way is all his doing. He did it all. Recall what he said earlier in verses 2 and 3 of our text. Look at this. Jesus says this to his disciples in verse 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Did you notice how many times the emphasis is on the eyes or the hymns? From beginning to end, it's, it's him. It's all him. All whom the Father have given to him will make it to the right destination because Jesus has made the way and secured the way so that nothing can or will separate us from being with him. If we truly belong to him, we have a guarantee, listen to me, for God himself, a guarantee that he will make it to our destination. That's good news. So therefore, we can rest assured that this will happen if we continue clinging to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in light of this, if you're looking for some application for that in the sermon this morning, how about this? How about in light of Jesus being the way, in light of him providing the way, in light of him doing everything in order for you to be revealed to the way, how about you start by praising him? That's simple. How about the application for Jesus being the way is praising him? How about praising God for providing us for the only possible way to go to heaven? How about praising God for the miracle of revealing to us this way? Opening our eyes that we might behold this way. Friends, please understand me. This is an awesome and wonderful miracle that any one of us have found the way. Left to ourselves, as the Bible says, we are like sheep who have gone astray, each going to his own way. But God, in his infinite grace and mercy, has made this way not only available to us, but has opened our eyes that we might find it in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing. What a thing worth celebrating and praising God for. Friends, Jesus is the way. Secondly, Jesus goes on to say that not only is he the way, but you guessed it, he is the truth. Jesus is the truth. 
Now, given the context of our passage here, it seems to make the most sense to see this statement as flowing from this remark about being the way. In, in other words, given that the way, Jesus being the way, is predominant in this section, his statement about being the truth is to be seen as a statement that's supporting his declaration about being the way. William Hendrickson, one writer, put it like this. He said, we understand Jesus to be saying something like this. I am the way because I am the truth and the life. I am the way because I'm the truth and the life. Now, again, we might ask ourselves this question. Why does mankind need to be told the truth by God? Why would we need this? Well, again, if we go back to the beginning of the scriptures, we learn that our first parents chose to believe the lie. They chose to believe the lie of Satan over the truth of God. And as a result, sin carried with it some terrible consequences upon all who have come into being since our first parents. We're told actually in the book of Romans chapter 1 that mankind has exchanged and continues to exchange the truth of God for the lie. Now one of the consequences of this is that man chooses to worship anything but the creator. Jesus is the way to God and to heaven because he is the truth. Jesus is the very revelation of God himself. He's the exact representation of God. He is the word of God made flesh. He's the true and living revelation of God. He's the one in whom dwells the spirit of truth without measure. He's the one in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In all these ways and more, Jesus is the truth. He's the way because he reveals the truth about God and about us. Jesus is the way because he reveals the truth about God and about us. He has to be the way because he, he does that. Jesus in himself reveals the truth about who God is and what he's like. As well as revealing the truth to us about our sinful condition and our desperate need for redemption. As we've read throughout this gospel so far, so many times, we've seen time and time again that Jesus refuses to pull any punches. He tells his people exactly as it is. Looking to Jesus, we learn that God is infinite, that he is eternal, that he is unchangeable. Looking to Jesus, we see in the flesh the fact that God is wise, he's powerful, he's just, he's good, he's full of truth. By looking at Jesus, we also learn the truth about man, namely, that we are sinners. We learn that we cannot find our own way to God by ourselves. We learn that left to ourselves, we are like the blind following the blind. We are lost in the worst way possible. But praise be to God that the same Jesus we're considering today is the one who came into the world to seek and save that which is lost. That's the glorious message of the gospel. That we've not been left up to ourselves. Left to ourselves, we tend to think that our condition isn't as bad as it truly is. We convince ourselves that all we need to do is gain a little bit more understanding about things and then we'll be okay. We convince ourselves that man's problem isn't sin, it's a lack of education. That man's problem isn't his sinful nature, his problem is his environment that's to be blamed for his condition. Every person or institution 
that has come along in order to propose a way to God or a way to heaven apart from the truth of Jesus Christ is a lie. Every supposed way to God or to heaven that fails to point to Jesus alone should be understood as having a huge sign over it saying, wrong way, do not enter. Anybody who follows those ways refuses to heed the warnings of the scriptures and is bound to remain lost, not only in this life, but on the other side of the grave as well. Jesus is the truth. As we learned earlier in this gospel, the truth is what will set you free. Jesus, if he is your truth, if you've given your life over to him, listen to me, Jesus will set you free from sin and death. I know so many brothers and sisters who have professed Christ, who are professedly living for Christ, and yet they act as if sin reigns over them. Not only that, they fear death so much, and it shows. They desperately try to hold on to every ounce in life they can. They live in the fear that every cough is the next cancer, that everything that's wrong with them is leading to their ultimate demise. But friends, listen to me. If you're in Christ, you've got no ultimate demise. You live forever with him. And friends, if you're in Christ, sin doesn't get a hold of you anymore. That's what we're celebrating today, right? We celebrate that he's alive, that he conquered sin and death. And in him, if we rest in him, if we're trusting in him, we too conquer sin and death. That thing in your mind, Christian, that you're saying has the hold over you. The thing that you just can't shake no matter what, friend. You're free of that if Christ is in you. What a glorious truth that is for us to grab hold of. Jesus Christ is the truth. Friends, why aren't we living as if that's the case? Jesus will set you free from sin and death. He will set you free to take him up as the only way to God and the only way to his heaven. And for those of us who already know the way, here's the application for this. It's, it's very, very simple. In light of being shown the way, we ought to have a desire to study the truth. We, we should have the desire to spend time studying the scriptures because Church family, the more we know the scriptures, the more we know Jesus. It's that simple. The more we know Jesus, the more we know God. The more we know God, the more we will know also about our eternal home. So are you studying the scriptures? That's often the case, by the way, when I meet with someone who is just downtrodden with sin. Who says, I just don't even know if I'm a Christian because... I can't stop sinning in this way. First question. What's your time in the Word of God like? Do you even have a desire to study the truth? Friends, Jesus is the truth. Therefore, we ought to want to know Him. Now, Jesus is the way because He's the truth, but He's also the way because He's the life. He's also the life. Now, again we might ask ourselves this question. Why do men need life? Well, we live. Why do we need anything more than the life 
that were already living. Well, again, we could turn back to the opening pages of Scripture and where we learn that God in the garden had threatened Adam and Eve with a penalty of death upon their violation of his covenant. And as we know, they did sin. And when they sinned, death came and entered into this world as a consequence of sin. The scriptures go on to tell us that the wages of sin is death and that all men are dead in their trespasses and sins. So the reality is, even though all men are alive physically, we are all born dead spiritually. Jesus has to tell us he's the life because we're born spiritually dead. Jesus has to tell us he's the life because we're born spiritually dead. The reason he can be the way to God in heaven is because he's the life. In fact, he's life itself, isn't he? He's the creator and sustainer of life. He's the one in whom we live and move and have our being, the scripture says. He says it's, he's the one by whom, through whom, and for whom all things were created. He's the one from apart from him we can do nothing. Apart from him nothing came into being that came into being. Jesus is the source of life. That's amazing when you think about it. Because this tells us a lot about who God is. It tells us that God is the only one who is self-existent. God is the only one who is self-existent. He's the only one who has life in himself. Every other creature you could fathom in your mind are dependent on him for life. But he is independent. He's not dependent on anything but himself to be sustained in life. See, it's not like my daughter who is three who at this age is coming into her own independence, right? So she thinks that she can do absolutely everything by herself. She doesn't want me to buckle her into the car. I want to do it by myself. She doesn't want to tie her shoes. I can do it by myself. She doesn't want to dress herself. She can do it by herself. She doesn't want me to run her bath. She can do it by herself. I don't know where she gets this independence and pride from. Um, only one of two guesses. Uh, you're all guessing me, aren't you? Um, you're right. Uh, and yet, my daughter, though she might think she's independent, is very much dependent on her dad and mom. She She's very tiny. She can't reach the, the shelves yet to make herself a sandwich. So she would starve uh, if she wasn't dependent on her mom and dad. We'd have to take her everywhere, take her to the doctor. She's unable to drive. She may think that she's independent in all these ways, but she's very much dependent on us. Friends, we're the same way. Does it stop? We continue to live our lives as if we are our own gods, as if we are self-existent and self-sufficient. But friend, you are dependent upon God for everything. He's sovereign. That breath you just took, it's his. He owns it. He gave it to you as a gift. You ought to praise him for it. You are dependent on God for even oxygen. That's how dependent we are. And yet God in himself is independent. He's not dependent on anything but himself to be sustained in life. Now because God is the life, only he can give life. That means apart from him, there's only death. He's the one who is able to breathe life into death. Not only that, but as we celebrate today, Jesus is the life because he's alive. That's why we're here this morning, isn't it? 
Jesus is the life because he's alive. We're celebrating that because it would only make sense for the one who is the source of life to be alive. That's what he is. This day represents why John 14, 6 is accurate. He proves that he is the life by conquering death, and that's exactly what he did in his resurrection. Paul says without the resurrection, we'd have no hope. Without the resurrection, Jesus would be the way and the truth, but there would be no reason for us to have any guarantee that he is life. So now, because of the tomb is still being empty, we stand assured knowing that he is alive and he is the life. He says this about himself in John eleven twenty five, 25, a text that we studied not too long ago. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. He tells us in John 17, 3, you want to know what eternal life is? You want to know how to have eternal life, Jesus says? This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You want to have eternal life? You want to know what this life is about? You want to find your purpose? You will have eternal life if you know the Father and the Son whom he sent. Jesus tells the same thing in 1 John chapter 5. John the Apostle writes in verse 11, And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. If you want to live, you need to take a look at the one who is life himself. Again, he's the way because he's the truth in life. Now listen, as we conclude this morning, I'd like to return once again to the subject of the um, exclusivity of the Christian faith. At the end of verse 6, Jesus says again, no one can come to me, come to the Father, except through me. No one can come to the Father but through me. See, there are, are many people who are of the opinion that all religions are like different spokes which are all connected to the same hub. They say all that matters really is that we're connected to the same hub. And that hub, of course, representing some idea of a God. It doesn't matter how many different faiths there are because they all essentially are leading to the same place. Folks, you know if you had been in the faith for any length of time that that is absolute nonsense. And what's worse is that it's wrong. And it's not just wrong, it's deadly wrong. That way of thinking is contrary to what we're told about Jesus being the way and the truth and the life. Instead, this way of thinking is nothing but the way of man, which is a lie. And it will lead to eternal death for all who would follow it. Jesus has made the way abundantly clear to you. He is the only way to God and the only way to heaven. The scriptures are clear as well. Acts 4.12, again, speaking of Jesus, we are told, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, for there is one God, one mediator, also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Friends, family, guests, it's very important for you to understand what I'm about to say. See, some people think that Christians are arrogant, narrow-minded, bigoted people who think they're better than everyone else because they think they're the only ones who know the truth. But folks, any so-called Christian 
who thinks that they are better than others because they have come to know the way of God has failed to understand and appreciate the fact that they have nothing to boast in about themselves. There is no boasting in ourselves for knowing the way. You know that, right? You, if you were in Christ, are one thing and one thing only, a product of the grace of God. That's it. That's what you have to boast in. See, there, there is no place for pride. We don't come to know the way of God or heaven because we're smarter or better or morally superior than all other people of faith or no faith. That is absolute foolishness. We're told explicitly in many passages of Scripture to share one, 1 John 5, 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. How can anybody boast when it's certainly true that no one comes to this knowledge in their own power or abilities? We who have come to Christ are no better than the worst sinners of this world. We are all equally deserving of being left to travel the wrong way and to follow lies, to die that eternal death that leads to destruction. See, let me, let me just share with you an example of what just happened this morning. There may be a temptation in you to think, I hate these people, these terrorists, because of who they are. I love you, church family. The only thing that separates you from them is the grace of God in Christ that he gave you a gift to receive the knowledge of who he is and saved you. That's it. So our response to this, we pray against the evil of this world. And we pray for the souls of those men. When's the last time you prayed for the nation of Islam? That their hearts would be changed. When's the last time you felt justified in making a racially charged statement about those groups of people? Friends, there's something wrong. God works through the prayers of his people and the boasting of the gospel. What, what do we expect ever to change if we that the people of Christ are sitting here boastfully arrogant, thinking we're morally superior on our own when Christ has given us the tools to reach the lost world with the gospel. I hate it as much as you do. I hate evil. But you know what? I know why evil exists today. It's because sin exists. It's because this world is marred by an evil of sin. And the only hope any of us have is for Christ to come and redeem his people and show us the way. And he has. Friends, have you been shown the way? We're all equally deserving of death. Spiritual death and eternal death. So as we tell others about Jesus being the only way to God and heaven, we... We have to. We must always remember to do so with a humble spirit. Because in sharing this treasure with others, it's like one beggar pointing to other beggars to the place where they may find that bread that's being freely handed out. My prayer for you this morning is simple. If, if you've never experienced the way, if you've never come to Christ, 
through the way. And that way being the death, life, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that you would make today that day. That Easter Sunday would truly be a resurrection day for you because you, who are spiritually dead, would come to life in the life that's offered in Christ. And for Christians, oh, may we never boast in anything but the grace of God. Would you stand as we close today? God, I pray that you would grant us the opportunity and the knowledge to understand these truths. Father, it is true that apart from you, we are nothing. So Lord, on a day of tragedy, on a day of difficulty, Lord, we identify with with Mary and Peter and John sitting in that upper room wondering, was it all in vain? And yet there you came, bursting forth from the grave, alive, oh, and well. Father, as we consider your way, I pray that everyone here could have the testimony of saying that Jesus is my only way. The only reason that I'm in Christ is because Jesus is the way. The only way I'm guaranteed that place where God has gone and prepared a place for me is because Jesus has shown me the way. For those this morning who've never experienced or encountered the way, Lord, that they would repent. They would trust in you as the only way to God and to heaven. And they would join in the chorus of the angels singing, He is risen, He is risen, He is risen. Thank God, He's alive. We ask this all in the name of Jesus.